Welcome to Health, Wealth and Happiness. I'm James. I'm Joe. And welcome to the show. Our next guest, Ray Kubasi. Did I say that correctly? Have I said that right? Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, I've been practicing that, by the way. Ray and I have a mutual friend who put us in touch together a couple of weeks ago. And he said to me, you need to speak to this lady. He said, she's the most positive and upbeat person that I've ever met. And anyone that knows him will know that coming from Spencer, that is a big <laughs> shout. So, without further ado, I am delighted to introduce the inspirational Ray Kubasi. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm very excited to be here. So, thank you for having me. And thank I'm blushing much. having to hear what Spencer said. So, thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so let's kick off. So, tell us then who is Ray Kubasi? What do you do? Ray now is a mental health coach and a personal growth trainer. Uh, I work mostly with men who are suffering with uh, their mental health. It came from a very personal uh, story, which will uh, I will tell you all about it in a bit. But I felt that I need this. I have this urge and I have this craving to uh, help people to understand their mental health, understand that they are not alone in this world and that there's always options to get help and to get the support that we needed and to break the stigma surrounding mental health, especially for men and the stigma that is preventing them from seeking the help that they deserve and the help that they need. So why, why men's mental health as opposed to females? Is that your niche? What, why, why the uh, connection there? Well, James, because I have lost my dad to suicide 10 years ago. And uh, I was his best friend. And having someone as close to you as I had he was my dad and he was a best friend. And yet I did not know that he had severe depression. Like I knew he had bad days, but not to to an extent that I would wake up the next morning hearing that he hanged himself in his room. So after I was done with my healing and my shock and my everything, I I, I came to realize because once you are... um, you face something like this, you start noticing and your observational skills be very specific when you are around people. It came to my attention, James, that men are not fully safe, are not fully protected, are not fully supported when it comes to mental health. There's this macho that is unnecessary concept in the Middle East. I'm not sure about the world, but I'm pretty sure that here in the Arab culture, men are not allowed to cry, are not allowed to be weak, are not allowed to be sad. And I thought, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. And it starts from from a very young age, which means once you give birth to a boy, that's it. It's done. He's not supposed to cry. He's supposed to hold responsibility for his siblings, for his parents. So it's too much pressure from a very young age. So that boy would grow up to be a man who is either unemotionally available in relationships or he's just too weak or vulnerable, but he doesn't want to say it out loud. So he reflects it in a very specific behavior that is toxic for him and for the people around him. All All of that could be avoided just by listening to men as a first step. And it doesn't really take much time. Listen to what they have to say and then take it one step at a time. So that's how it started with me, to be honest. With you then, like you say, like there's that stigma. People don't want to really break down. They don't want to break down their guard and actually open up about it. With the guys that you work with, 
Are you breaking that wall down for them? Are they coming to you saying, listen, I need some help? Or how does it work with you? Sir? For now, uh, the, work, the men I work with are either through referrals or people who see my post on LinkedIn. Um, it's a very shy approach. At the beginning, they would send me a message that we love your content and it's very um, weird coming from a woman. I don't know why that's weird, but and one, the conversation takes another direction, like tell me what's going on with you, how can I help you, what is it that you really resonated with, with my content, and then I come to realize that they're either having relationship problems or work problems, uh, a burnout, anxiety, stress, but they don't really talk about it, and I've worked with uh, a few men who were grieving or experiencing a loss, a loss and death, but they haven't really dealt with it because they have to work or they have to just wear a mask and pretend everything is fine. So um, that's how it started at the beginning. So it's the content that I share, my stories. Um, my, my episode with Spencer really, really brought a lot of men, you know, out in the light, which was very good. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, and referrals. One client gets me another, so. <laughs> so if we just go back to, I mean, I can't imagine what you must have gone through at that time. When, when was that? It was in 2010. Uh, I was 23 years old. And um, at the beginning, my family lied to me and they told me that my dad had a heart attack. So I actually believed for like a month that he passed away with a heart attack. So my emotions were just purely sadness and mourning my dad until I actually found out that, no, he hanged himself. So my emotions went from sadness to anger. I, I was so angry at him. Like, why didn't he tell me? Why did he leave me? Why did he have to do that? So all of these emotions I had to go through until my... So I went through the grief stages, the five level of stages. And, um, and then I came to notice that if only he had someone to actually listen to what's being said between the lines because sometimes joe when someone asks us how are you doing the first answer the automatic response would be i'm fine yeah. and that would be it we don't really dig deeper are you sure are you fine you can tell me you can talk to me i'm here for you we don't say that i'm fine oh okay cool <laughs> so that Part of communication, the type we come, the the way we communicate with each other is not as efficient as we want it to be because we do not have the right education and we were not raised to communicate. We were raised to bottle up our emotions or to just move on and pretend everything is fine because that's life and you're not the only one. This misconception, this is what's creating the stigma and the it's increasing the rates for men to have heart attacks or suicide attempts. So how long did it take you to come? Because you make it sound very easy, but how long did it take you to it's come not, to term? And I'm, 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 that, yeah. that didn't sound right. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I know I, what it means. How long did it take you to come to terms with what actually happened? Because that for me, is, that is just mind blowing. I can't imagine anyone going through that. For me to be able to actually recover and heal properly, it took me five years. Um, 
uh, I, I, I enrolled in a self-improvement workshop that lasted for a year and they help you to deal with your emotions and to let go of your baggage in the proper way. It was a theater uh, therapy. So one year of real hell, if I may say, they make you face your fears, they make you face your anger, your sadness, your grief, everything. Um, that that workshop or that program really helped me in my um, recovery. Then I had to work with a lot of therapists, a lot of coaches. Uh, I've done a lot of um, what they call it, this relaxation resorts where you just go and learn how to do yoga, how to meditate, how to understand your feelings and how to really sit with your feelings and not distract yourself with something else like going for a drink or going for uh, a party or doing something just for you not to be sitting with your thoughts. No, listen to your thoughts and know what to do with them moving forward. So it took me five years to be very honest. Um, it wasn't as, um, how can I explain? It was a very interesting, now when I look, look back, it's, it's a very interesting and life-changing experience. But at that moment, I myself um, attempted suicide three times. Like, that's it. I, I didn't want to live anymore. I, I just wanted to go and see my dad. I just wanted to go and end my pain. Um, so five years struggling between should I recover, should I move forward, is it, is it possible for me to have a new life for me? Is it possible for me to have... Um, there was a point, Joe, where I lost my um, appetite to be kind or to be giving or to be a caring person because I thought, what's the point? What's the point? My most precious person has just killed himself because there was no kindness in this world. So why? So I had this struggle. I even had struggle with my my faith. I had um, doubts with friends around me. So I doubted everything until uh, with time and consistency with therapy, um, I started seeing things from a different perspective, adapting a new way of seeing things. Um, my coping skills got even better. Um, I was okay. I made peace with sadness. I made peace peace with grief. I made peace with whatever is the opposite of joy and happiness and, you know, whatever it is. And I made the best out of it. So that was how I dealt with it for five years. Wow. Did you get to a point where it was like, right, now or never, or was it a very gradual change over that five years? At the beginning, it was very gradual and uh, it really made me meet a new version of myself that I never knew it existed in a very bad way, not in a good way. I, I, I came to meet someone I didn't know it existed inside me, which was very bitter, which was very angry, which was very violent and aggressive. I don't want to listen to people. I don't want to get help. I, I Just leave me alone. And I, I, I started creating a new life for me, which was the total opposite of what I wanted. Not going to work, not doing any healthy activities, uh, just getting drunk, going to party, you know how it, it's like getting into a rebound, but to yourself. So everything that really brought me harm, I just got addicted to it. 
And then um, my therapist was very helpful, to be very honest. So at the beginning, she really helped me to do whatever I want. Just at the beginning, do whatever you want to do. And then slowly but surely, I started to change my habits, to change my um, behavior. And when I enrolled in that self-improvement workshop, which had two mentors, the theater therapy, it was bam. That's it. You need to do something. And they tell you at the beginning, Joe, is that, listen, it's going to be painful, but would you rather be in pain for like nine months or a year or live with that pain for the rest of your life? It's your choice. So I chose the temporary pain that will help me just live my life regardless of what happens to you later on, you would know what it is and you would know how to do, what to do with it, how to approach it. Uh, if you're sad, if you're angry, if you're grieving, if you're what, whatever emotion that's happening, you would know what to do with it because you have already gone through it. It's a choice that I made. I had a lot of opportunities to take a different direction, which was very easy. I can imagine it being a lot easier to so push it, it down. It was and... very easy. And uh, my brother took the easy path, which made him become a drug addict. He just chose to take that road. No, I chose to deal with things differently. Um, the moment I knew that I was fully recovered was the last day of the workshop, which sounds very weird, like one year of progress and improvements and dealing with things. But the last day when we were asked to perform uh, a scene that we wrote on a personally, you get on stage and you share part of your story in just five minutes. You have to write a scene. So I did that. I stood on stage and I performed something related to my story, to my dad, to my mother, uh, to who happened to be my, um, my ex-boyfriend. So I shared everything on stage. And until now, people recognize me by my name because it was really liberating to stand on stage and just put everything out there. This is who I used to be. This is what I went through. And this is who I want to be moving forward. Boom. And then after that, I just quit my job. I broke up with my boyfriend. I looked for a job here in Dubai and I moved here. I left everything behind me and I just, you know what? That's a new book. I'm going to write a new chapter, a new book, not a new chapter even. And yeah, that's five years now. <laughs> wow. I'd be curious to know if you don't mind me jumping here. Like, obviously, you work with loads of men now regarding this. Is there a common denominator here or, you know, the underlying root cause that? most men struggle with that sort of drives that anxiety, that insecurity or whatever it is? Have you found a pattern at all? Uh, usually, James, it's family. Um, their family just... Because it, it, it comes from one generation to another. If our parents did not have the luxury to understand what mental health was and the importance of it, they're going to transmit it to their children. And if we were not educated in that area, we're going to give it to our children. So it goes from one generation to another. Unfortunately, our generation now is becoming more mature in that area, but there are still people who, let's say, um, from 35 years old till 50, these men have already been 
establishing their lives, they have built their careers, they have built their families. And for them to, to listen to someone telling them you have been doing this wrong because you were raised like that, it's not an easy thing to absorb. It's not an easy thing to process, to tell them that your parents should have been more understanding, should have been more supportive. It's This is not protection. This is not love. However, this is what they thought at that time was protection and love. So basically, there's no one to blame. So we have a choice. Would you like to create a new life for you? It's never too late. It will be challenging. It will be um, full of roadblocks. But at least you're not doing it alone and not out of the blue. You have someone there with you. Or you just want to live, remain the same with the same life you're having. And not only this, that will affect your children and that will affect your wife or or husband. So what is it that, what choice are you making? Some people would say, you know what, help me. I really need help. Some people would say, no, I have, I don't have the time. No, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe because they're scared. So you have to, I, I, I work much harder. That would be really sounding uh, weird, but I work harder to calm their fears before actually yeah. doing something to help them solve the problem. Uh, because so you, you work backwards. Yeah, you're understanding what the fear is, backwards. what they're actually scared of, what that means to them. And then Some men, exactly backwards, because some men, James, are also um, afraid on their reputation. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. I'm a man. I don't need help. I can do that. So it's sad, but I'm so happy that now more than ever, people are realizing that mental health is really important, especially after the pandemic, because it made every person look really deep into themselves and realize that, oh my God, I have anxiety. I'm sad. Uh, I have issues that I need to deal with. Uh, how can I do that? And people are starting to be more aware of this and the consequences. Because a man's mental health is not only affecting himself, but it's also affecting his siblings, his family, his colleagues, his his um, team, if he is a business owner, uh, his pockets, his bank account, his health, his everything. So are these not important enough for you to make the effort? 100%. I'm with you. you. I mean, obviously, you talk about the pandemic. How, how much do you think that has affected people's mental health throughout, especially through the lockdown period of it? Whoa, a lot, Joe, a lot. Um, We realized or we came to know that the real pandemic is mental health. It's not the virus because a lot of people do not know how to sit with themselves, do not know what issues they were having because they were distracting themselves with either being uh, hard workers or workaholics or gymaholics or whatever it is that's used to distract them from actually listening to what their body is telling them and what their mind is trying to tell them. So once we, we all sat at home, there's nowhere to go. You have your laptop through, you have your family if you're not living alone, but what happens when you go to bed? What are the thoughts that you're having? How are you communicating with your family when you are away from them all day long? 
and now you have to sit with them. How are you going to communicate your anxiety or your stress or your anger or whatever that is frustrating you? There's nothing to hide anymore. And the fact that people are not able to hide what they're going through was uh, like a wake-up call for a lot of men. Um, I can't talk with my wife. I, I do not have the energy to play with my kids. I don't, I'm not getting enough space. I don't know why I'm overthinking. Um, I'm having trouble sleeping. So a lot of issues came to the light during this pandemic, which was a good thing. Uh, people really laugh at me when I say it's a good thing, but it's a good thing that now you know what's what's wrong and you know what's what's bothering you and you know what's affecting you and let's let's do this let's put our hands together so you don't reach depression so so you don't reach a level when you want to say to yourself you know what i don't care anymore i just want to kill myself let's not go there i have the solution for you would you like it rare are the men who would say no i think that's the thing isn't it really when you want to be like like what I do in health and fitness. You want to be training this like it's a muscle every single day. And the moment you stop training it, it starts to get weak. It becomes vulnerable. Um, and like you're saying that people only deal with these things when they get really, really bad, as opposed to actually servicing it up top here. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of things can be avoided. Bad things can be avoided by just being careful. So let's assume you want to work out why. The why is very important. For example, you gave the training, uh, physical training. Okay, so are you going to the gym because your friend is going and he needs a companion? Are you going to the gym because you want to build those abs and six packs? Are you going to the gym to release your stress? Are you going to the gym because it makes me, makes you happy? Why are you doing whatever it is that you're doing? The same concept is why are you not taking care of your mental health? Do you not see you're worth it? You do not see that you deserve it? You do not see that you are, uh, um, how can I say it? everything in your life that you have been building. So you're happy with your business, that's awesome. You're happy with your family, that's awesome. But if you do not see yourself as the backbone of everything around you, then guess what? Nothing will ever matter once you're gone. So training ourselves to be able People need to understand, this is why I, 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 I really focus on this when I do my awareness campaigns, James, is that the balance between our physical and mental health, or even the is to be synchronized mentally and physically is very important. You cannot go to the gym when you are having panic attacks and give yourself the excuse, I do 50 push-ups a day. That's not important when you're having a panic attack alone in your room. When you are trained mindfully to be able to breathe, to be able to relax, to be able to assess what you're go what's going through in your mind, then not only you will be able to do 50 push-ups, you will be able to do 100 push-ups without having to be constantly thinking, I don't want to have a panic attack, so let's, let me work out more. Do not drain your body just because you can't handle your mind. Yeah, I, I can relate to this and I don't mind speaking about it. Um, as Joe knows, and I think a lot of our listeners know, I lost my funding and support when I was a full-time athlete with GB. I was on the sidelines for nearly a year with a you know, physical illness. And because I was 
head bound for so long. I was just alone with my own thoughts every single day. I wasn't training my mind. I wasn't, I was, you know, I wasn't fit and healthy. I was recovering from an illness. And slowly over time, I saw myself and my mindset and my mental health deteriorate completely. Uh, and that was really alarming for me. I could see how quickly it was deteriorating. So I can really relate to this and how only until I actually said, no, hang on, I've got, something, I've got something I need to sort out here. I need to actually step up here and actually speak out about it. That's the best thing I ever did. Um, because I think so many people just sort of think, oh, it will pass, it will pass, it will go. But it doesn't really, does it? You really need to sort of have the initiative with it. And like you say, I think it's a stigma. Uh, but more, I think, you know, when you speak up about it, more you come across with that stigma even better. Well, thank yeah. you for doing that, James, yeah. because, you know, right. for men specifically, because now it's all about women empowerment and let's support each other, which I'm all in too, but what about men? So when a man sees another man talking about that I'm depressed and I'm not ashamed of that, he would go and think, whoa, there's someone out there like me. Yeah. So it's very important that more people like you, James, to speak up. If you're sad, say you're sad. If yeah. you're depressed, say you're depressed. And 100%. it doesn't matter if your network is millions of people or hundreds. Even if one person listens to you, that person yeah. is going to spread the word. Yeah. But I don't know what you think about this, Ray. But I mean, like, obviously, you went through what you went through. And you came out the other side even stronger. And I think with myself as well, when I went through that process, I made a weakness become my asset. And now it's more than a strongest asset too. So I think it's understanding the life life journey of it and coming out the other side of it as well. I think don't, people look so short-sighted in the, in the moment, don't they? Not see the bigger picture of it all. Yeah, true. That's, that's why I do what I do because yeah. I always say if I was able to survive three suicide attempts and my both parents' death and depression and anxiety and be who I am today, then guess what? It's, it's, it can be for you too. It's, it can be. It's just a choice that you have to make. Just make that choice and I'll do everything else. So, but for them to reach the, the point from A to B, from being depressed or anxious or having a low self-esteem or low mental health to the B, which B here is making that choice, a lot of education and awareness should be done. So it's a long road, but it's still a very, it's, a worth, it's worth it, worth every second of it. So do you think this is something they should do more of educating children in, i.e. taking it away from the home? Like you say yourself, there's got to be, it's the way my dad's done it, it's the way his dad's done it, it's the way his dad's 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 done it, it's, it's the way it's always been. So do you think that the schools need to take a lot more responsibility over this? 100%, 100%. Before the pandemic, I was planning to get myself a mental health first aid. Uh, so I would be able to give programs and trainings for schools and universities. And I, I have already got in touch with a few. But then when the pandemic uh, came into the picture, I put everything on hold. It's very important that we start doing that for kids and students and teenagers. Uh, and in parallel, the parents and the teachers. Because how many times, Joe, would you look back to one of your teachers who was not really so pleasant with you and you would hate the subject because of that teacher? 
Yeah. For example, I hate mathematics because of one bad teacher I had. I've always been an A student. Until that teacher came into the picture, my self-esteem just went down. I am stupid. I am not good enough. I do not know how to do this. And it really, I carried it like until recently. Oh, no, it's not me. It's her. Yeah. So even the teacher, it, it's not really the certificate that you're holding. It's the education in that aspect that is really important. Yes, it's amazing that you are a PhD holder, but how good are you in communication? How empathetic are you? How compassionate are you? How much of a kind person are you, like genuinely? It's very important now that, not only important, Joe, but for me, to be very honest, it's very funny in a very sad way that we still need to tell people be more kind to each other, that we need to do awareness campaigns on compassion, on empathy. Why? Because people are full of issues that they haven't dealt with, bitterness, anger, sadness, unresolved issues. So they really, not everyone has the skill or the ability to see things in a different way. Even the language that we use with each other as individuals or the language we use with other people, if you would really observe and listen to what we say on a daily basis, you would be amazed by the amount of words that are so critical and that that are so really affects us in a negative way and automatically our mind would be programmed to believe this language and sometimes we say it without even thinking about it or it happens unconsciously for example if you just spill the coffee on the floor oh my god i'm so stupid that's the simplest example if your kid watched you say that because you spilled a coffee, then that kid was going to learn, oh my God, if my dad is stupid for spilling the coffee, then I'm going to be as stupid as him. And that's a true story. So it's, I don't know what to say. Um, Yes, education and awareness are very important. Um, Helping people to realize that do that making that choice is not yes it is for you but it's also related to um look at the big picture it's affecting your family your your friends and everyone surrounding you and it's affecting the culture and the society if you want to change something it has to change it has to start from somewhere and even if it started on a small scale that scale is going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger we just need to be consistent and to be open to change not resist it so i love love this by the way you you, and what you do for your own mental health as well as the guys is there any tips that you recommend to service yourself as well as guys what they can be doing to stay on top of this or even get better i love this question well, it's very, um, it's very uh, delicate the way we deal with our mental health on a daily basis. Because to be very honest, not all the time I have the energy to get myself out of bed. Um, but creating a routine that makes you want to get out of your bed is very important. So for me, the non-negotiables would be yoga in the morning and meditating uh, these are the things that makes me peaceful and they help me to set my intention for the day even as simple as you know what Ray take it one hour at a time okay so what I would do is every hour 
I would just remind myself, you can do this, you can do this. So indulge in uh, self-care activities, but self-care activities that works for you. Each one of us, because I'm really done with people telling people what to do. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to just help you do the things you want to do. So create a healthy routine for yourself that really gives you a motive or or that gives you peace, even if it's just 10%. If you wake up in the morning and you feel you are in a cranky mood, okay, what would make me feel a little bit better? Okay, maybe I could take some a break from work your mind is going to protect you and tell you no james you can't afford to take a break from work here is the challenge here is what where you come and say listen thank you so much for protecting me but i need a break and you you go on and take the break and sometimes the break is only 10 minutes and in 10 minutes you can do a lot. You can do a lot in 10 minutes. It could be yoga, it could be meditation, a coffee outdoors, a phone call with someone that makes you laugh, watching a YouTube video, just sitting watching the ceiling, writing something on your diary or journal or planner. Uh, I don't know, taking a nap for five minutes, taking a shower, jumping, anything that makes you feel good, do it. So start your day with a fixed routine that sets your intention to the day and indulge in compassionate thinking. That's my two top tips. Everything else can be done with time and of course practice, but give yourself that. Talk to yourself and behave with yourself the way you would do with your loved people and your loved ones. For example, I have a ritual that was before Corona. I would take myself on dates because I deserve it. I'm not going to wait for, if I'm a single woman, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go on dates. I would pick a place where I really like, and I would just go out, get myself a nice dinner, a nice drink, uh, go to the movies, start something new, like an activity, and I would really, really enjoy it. But in my head, I would always ask myself, would you do that to a friend or to a partner? Yes, then I would do it. Saying something in an argument, would that work? hurt you if you are the receiver yes then don't say it it takes practice but believe me it really really brings a lot of quality for you in your life everything would become easier to handle not easy easier to handle i like this um I'm picking up on things as well. Like you as the expert, the mentor, I guess what you're trying to do is help them answer things for themselves as opposed to having to reassure them. So you're actually yeah. giving them the power. Yes. You're not telling them. I'm giving them. You're doing things themselves. That's that underlying confidence issue that they struggle with. 100%. I'm just there to make them feel safe, make them feel comfortable, and at least have one person they can trust and a non-judgmental space. Because some people would come to me having difficulty to share something that is very sensitive or that is very personal, or at some point, any person who had, doesn't have the awareness would judge because that's the first reaction. It's an automatic reaction. With me or with any proper coach or therapist, there will be no judgment. Once 
that person sees, okay, I'm not being judged. That's one step forward to actually do something about it. And he would be more open to listen to himself and to you when you tell them, like, how would you feel if we do this? How would you feel if we start, you know, approaching this problem from this area? Um, What are the things that you'd like to stop tolerating on your daily basis. This is when we start seeing what are his problems and we can work on it one at a time. And whatever obstacle it is, uh, it's solvable. It's solvable, but we can't really help people who don't want to help themselves. And if they do not want to help themselves and they need help, and you know it, that they need help, awareness and educating them in a way where they would see this and they would say hmm that's me it's talking to me in an indirect way and they would come to you for help so on it's that a, note it's, then. A, it's, a, it's a cycle <laughs> yeah so, so on that note then so what, there's obviously everyone feels anxious at time but not everyone would say i suffer with anxiety what's the difference the difference is either you do not know that this is anxiety and you think it's part of your daily stress. Everyone gets stress. Everyone gets uh, pressure. So why should I be unique? Sorry. Or you know that this is anxiety, but you don't have the, the courage to tell people that, hey, listen, I have anxiety. Until that anxiety, God forbid, would later uh, become a panic attack. If not a panic attack, a heart problem. If not a heart problem, you would just faint. Anxiety is not a light matter to, it's not only about you being nervous. Some people would miss, uh, misunderstand the definition of anxiety, like getting nervous before a presentation or getting nervous before meeting someone new. That's not only it. Anxiety is uh, beating uh, fast heartbeats, difficulty to breathe. Your mind would constantly be beating you up to believe that you are not good enough, you are not worth it, you are not worth to live. Anxiety makes things 10 times worse than they actually are. If people would not know what is anxiety at the and they wouldn't really know what to do with it. And most... Um, the most tricky part is not having someone to be there with them to tell them that this is how it is. And people, um, if they do not know what the symptoms are, this is what I'm trying to say, if they do not know what the symptoms are, then they wouldn't know what is it. So we have um, a lot of examples to know what are the um, symptoms. It could be, or feelings that makes us leads to anxiety, which are anxious, stressed, uh, scared, lonely, overwhelmed, pressured, feeling guilty. Some people would feel guilty because they think that they are not doing um, a lot in their lives, even though they are, because they have they need validation. Um, they lost something and they're trying to fill the gap with something else. They are fatigued, but they do not want to do anything about it. Or they are getting peer pressure and society pressure to do even more and to let go of their fatigueness or their discomfort because this is tough love. That's another even topic, tough love. Tough love is really very bad. So this will create, of course, the anxiety. 
Um, I could, if you want, give you examples of how our minds can work because anxiety differs from one people to another. Some people's anxiety might come in, in a sh shape of threat scanning. A, pe a person who do threat scanning, which means wherever he is, he would scan the place he is for threats, even if it doesn't exist. He would خلص, convince himself that I am not safe. For example, when uh, the corona hits and we all sat at home, your mind will see the environment as a very danger, dangerous environment. For, for example, you would always be constantly checking your body for symptoms and you are obsessively checking for the uh, corona updates. Uh, they said sneezing is a symptom. Oh my God, I sneezed yesterday. I must have... I must be dying. That's threat scanning. Um, catastrophizing. Catastrophizing is more, um, I don't, it's not a sexist thing, but it's mostly at with women, which makes, uh, they always go to the worst case scenarios. Always worst case scenarios. They don't want to see the good part or the good side of the story, which means if you felt, let's say, a chest um, a tightness in your chest, which means خلاص, you have to go to the hospital and you have to go to the ER. If your mind is giving you the mental image of losing the people you love, then that's it. They're going to die and there, there are funerals for you to start planning for. That's how much powerful, and there are a lot of many other examples, that's how powerful our minds are, Joe. So if we do not learn how to control it, if we do not learn how to listen to it, then we cannot help ourselves or people around us. It's not a matter of getting rid of anxiety. You cannot just diminish anxiety. It's not possible. But you would know how, how to deal with it and how to manage it in a way where it doesn't become toxic and it doesn't become uh, a dead threat to you and to people around you. Um, listen to your thoughts, listen to your fears, listen to your feelings. And at the end of the day, your mind is genuinely trying to protect you. That's how it knows. That's the only way our minds know how to protect us. So we have the remote control. We are the people who are in power and in control. So if you have the luxury to learn how to do that, why wouldn't you? Some golden nuggets today, man. Absolute golden nuggets. <laughs> One of the questions we ask all of our guests is, if you could do it all over again, what advice would you give to an 18-year-old Ray Kobesi? Oh, wow. It's funny that she chose the age of 18 because I left the house at the age of 18. So what advice I would give myself or what I would do differently? Both. Wow, that's a tough question, Joe. <laughs> the advice would be um, love yourself more, more, and more. I did not love myself. I never valued myself. I thought by loving people, that's, that's the aim and that's the ultimate pleasure in life is giving people. I used to be a people pleaser. I never knew how to love myself because I was seeking love in a very wrong way. So I would say you are worthy of all the love in this world. Give it to yourself and you will start reflecting and attracting the right love in your life. Uh, you are worth it. That's, that's the advice I would give to my 18 years old. You will get through it brilliantly, brill brilliantly and beautifully. 
and the things that I would have done differently, I'm not sure I would want to answer this because I wouldn't know where I would be now. Everything I passed through is the reason why I was here. I am here. So I don't know. I, I would go through it again, to be honest. Maybe, it, maybe slightly different choices different decisions uh, surround people. Oh yeah, that would be a good one is surround myself with a good support system. Not anyone is worth or is in deserving to be with me in my life. Be picky with the people you are with. Be picky. I think I, I, I agree with you. I don't know what you think, Joe, as well, is that like, if, I, if I was to change it all again, I, I don't think I'd want to be like, this, this was meant to happen our paths were meant to happen. It's what we do from here, you know, that can shape us moving forward. So there's a few, uh, yeah. there's a few suspect choices and nights out. I'd probably take the chance over again, but... Uh... <laughs> like what? Like there's what, Joe? Whole, yeah. Share, share. <laughs> you say share them? No, no, not on this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another time. <laughs> When, when it's not being recorded. Right, fantastic. No, I really enjoyed today. It was good to get to know you, Ray. I think it's fascinating yeah, what you do. I think so many people can benefit from it as well. You know, when you just, you know, really drop that guard, you're just going to grow and grow. Uh, and like you say, everything below you starts to grow as well. Your family, your business, your career. Everyone gets that best possible version. So uh, I love that. Um, where can the guys go and listen to you? Where can they find you? Where, where can they search for you? Um, um, I have my website, which is Raise Your Mental Health uh, on Instagram, Raise Your Mental Health on LinkedIn. It's Rahaf Kabesi. I am now in the process of preparing to have my podcast. So it's, it should be launched very soon. But meanwhile, I do host every Sunday on my Instagram lives. It's called the segment Let's Talk Mental Health. So every week I host someone and we discuss something related to mental health to give people more information and to just answer their questions. So drop by. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then well, we'll put all, we'll tag all the handles in as well, so the so the list is nowhere. To find. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, well, Ray, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Right, we'll let you go. Have a lovely day, and I'll catch up with you soon. Cheers, bro. Thanks.